0: listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Hey, today I want to preach a standalone sermon um, that I just can't seem to shake out of my spirit. And I've been alluding to it in in a number of of sermons and series leading into this. And so I just thought, you know what, let me just go ahead and and get this over with. And uh, so um, I'm calling this message right from wrong, right from wrong. The older that I get, The more that I realize that our job, and what I mean by our, us, we, um, what I mean by that is responsible Christian adults, okay? So if you don't fall into that category, then maybe this isn't your job, okay? But the older I get, the more that I realize that our job as responsible Christian adults is to prepare the next generation to live a righteous life before the Lord. That's, that's our job. That's our goal. That's our mandate, if you will. And in order to, to do so, I know that I have to accept my responsibility as the shepherd of this flock to teach parents and to teach grandparents, to teach their children and their grandchildren the difference between what is right and what is wrong. James 4 and 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So it is up to us, it is up to me to teach the next generation the difference between what is right and what is wrong. There's this interesting moment in a child's life when we realize that they have an understanding of what is right and what is wrong, understanding that humanity was not created with the knowledge of good and evil. First of all, I need you to understand that. It's hard for us to fathom this. But we were not designed in the beginning to have the knowledge of good and evil. We were supposed to remain innocent and naive through this. Only God, the righteous judge, knows how to handle that. That's why we have a hard time with forgiveness. Because when someone wrongs us, when someone does something against us, or against someone we love, or somebody just does something stupid in society, it's hard for us to move past that. It's hard for us to move beyond that because... We now have the knowledge of good and evil, but humanity was not created with the knowledge of good and evil, but required, or, or acquired rather a sense of it when we disobeyed God in the garden. Um, some people would call this a conscience. Okay, I don't care what you label it. It is the, the knowledge of good and evil is what it is. And since that moment, each and every person has the mental capacity to determine what they should think, what they should say, and what they should and shouldn't do. Deep down, most people, most people, let me, let me put it that way, most people that, that can process clearly, okay? Most people have that sense, and they know what, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And, and you don't even have to be a believer to do what is right, okay? Understand that. You don't even have to be a believer. Listen to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And so instinctively, we've, we've got this, this internal compass, if you will, that, that, that tells us when we're doing something right and when we're doing something wrong. So we have an intuitive awareness of what is right and what is wrong. What we don't have is an intuitive obedience to do what is right. That's the part that a lot of people struggle with. We can reason in our hearts and our minds, at least for a season. Let me put it that way. Because I think if you keep doing the wrong thing long enough, you're going to convince yourself it's the right thing. Okay? But we, what we don't have is intuitive obedience. Therefore, we must be diligent to instill righteousness, first of all, in ourselves, and then in our children and our grandchildren. Righteousness is what helps us make godly decisions. The opposite of righteousness is wrongness. It is a word. I looked it up. But if righteousness is about being right, then wrongness is obviously about being wrong. Wrongness, the, the definition of that is the quality of being wrong and error or at fault. The quality of being wrong and error are at fault. To tackle this tough subject, we must first ask this question. Is there a right way to live, and is there a wrong way to live? Parents, you need to listen close to me. In every decision in life that your children are going to face, and you are facing this as parents right now, because there's a right way to parent and there's a wrong way to parent, we have to come to the understanding that there is a right way to live in every decision in life and there is a wrong way to live in every decision in life. And what society is doing right now they are wearing us down because we are becoming more and more tolerant of things that are not righteous. Amen. Now understand, as I go through this message, I, I'm not hating on anyone. As a matter of fact, the reason why I feel the need to preach this strong sometimes is because of my love for humanity. Because I, I, it's not the Father's will that any should perish, and so it, it, when when I preach a message like this, it is in hopes of convincing someone to walk away from unrighteousness and into righteousness. That is the reason for this. And so uh, we, we, we have to ask ourselves, is, is there a right way to live and is there a wrong way to live? And if the answer to that question is yes, then we must admit that there is a moral code that must be adhered to. And when it is not, then society is stuck in wrongness. Amen. Okay, three of you. We'll see how far we get with this. I, I want to take you to the book of Judges today. This is not a book that preaches a lot of people happy. So imagine how this is going to end today, right? Sandwiched in the Old Testament between the inspiring books of Joshua and Ruth, Judges is not one of Israel's finest moments. There are a few glimpses of victory. There are a few successes. But overall, very few people ever go to the book of Judges for encouragement and inspiration in their Christian walk with God. What is interesting about the book of Judges is how it parallels our lives today and how it parallels society. It's almost scary. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, it speaks to a time after Joshua's death. Now remember, Joshua was the one that that led Israel into the promised land. Okay? So his generation, they believed. They believed. But Judges chapter two and verse ten fast forwards past his death, and, and here's what it says. After that generation died, that's Joshua's generation, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. There's so much packed in that one verse right now. This generation, the generation after Joshua grew up and they did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. Think about that. Think about how quickly they digressed. Two generations after they walked into the promised land that God had given them. Don't forget that. God gave them the promised land. And now they no longer acknowledge him and, and and they don't even remember what God had done for them. Research tells me that we are one generation away from Christianity becoming extinct in America. This is a reason for concern. But I have news for you. If Christianity becomes extinct in America, it will not become extinct in the McKinley household. Amen. Because my children. And their children and their children and their children are going to know of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I'm making sure of that right now. Amen. 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 Understand this. Understand this. Life was designed to be governed by God. He's the creator. And, and as the creator, he designed our lives in such a way that it, it is to our benefit ...if we allow his governance over our lives. In other words, life has rules because the creator of life has rules. And you can either abide by and adhere to those rules and live a successful life in him... ...or or you can push back against that and pay the consequences of walking away from the governance of God. And when a society begins to detach itself from the guidance and governance of God... That's when problems begin to develop. Proverbs 14 and 12 tells us, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Understand, all of us have that instinct within us that thinks we know what is best. We think we know what is best. We think we know what's best for our lives. We think we know what's best for our families. We think we know what's best for society. But if you're not careful, if you don't measure that up against the Word of God, then it's going to fall short of godly standards. And and listen, something might seem good to you, but it's not godly. It it might be, well, well, that's not how you love everybody. Well, understand this. God loves everyone, but he's not always happy with everyone. I love you. And if you don't adhere to, to the godly standards that I live my life by, to the convictions I live my life by, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. It just means I have concern for you. And the writer of Proverbs says, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And time and time again, humanity has proven that we cannot leave it up to our own moral code because when you do, morality flies out the window. When you do, common sense ceases to exist. And I thought about it. And I thought, man, Lord, just, just what kind of world are we living in right now? I mean, when you think about this, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm really not going to get on my soapbox. I promise you, I'm going to be good because I want to stick to the word this morning and I want to teach this. But, but, but understand, common sense has gone out the window. There are other countries that are laughing at us right now because of the mess that we're making. We, we, we've got some work to do. and and, and the only way this works is to fall on our knees and humble ourselves and, and, and come back under the governance of God so common sense will cease to exist Isaiah 5 and 20 says woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter woe to those who call evil good and good evil and I think we've reached that place church I think that's where we're at Now, there was a time when children were taught the difference between right and wrong. Now, it's very intentional, but now they're teaching our children that wrong is right. And for you to say that it's wrong, it it makes you a bigot. For you to say that it's wrong, it it, it casts a shadow upon you now in our society. This has brought about confusion on on what constitutes human life inside and outside the the womb. It has brought about confusion in our sexuality and our God-assigned gender. It's produced a society that is calling good evil and evil good. We better get into this. Judges chapter 17 verses 1 through 6. Judges chapter 17 verses 1 through 6. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim Whose name was Micah And he said to his mother The eleven hundred Pieces of silver that were taken from you About which you uttered A curse and also spoke it in my ears Behold the silver Is with me I took it So understand there is already Events that took place before this That that are not recorded in scripture But but we, we understand just from this Statement that some things, somebody stole mama's money is what happened and, and it, it's getting the best of him and, and now he's, he's got to come clean so he said to his mother the eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoke at my ears behold the silver is with me I took it and his mother said blessed be my son by the Lord there's a problem I don't know if you're ready for this I told my wife recently, I don't think I I can write the the next book that I wanted to write on parenting. Because half of you, you're going to put it down after the first chapter. Because you don't want to discipline your kids the way I disciplined my kids. And I've often said, and I'll continue saying it, and, and you can call it pride, you can say whatever it is. But to get what I have, you have to do what I did. To have children like I have. You have to raise them the way I raise my children. Thank you. Let's move on. She said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son. That sounds good, right? I dedicate it to the Lord from my hand for my son. But here's the problem to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he res- let me just stop. I, I mean, it's the revelation God's pouring into me on this. I, I need you to understand. She's creating a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. She, she's making it look like we, we're, we're a good God-fearing family. But what she's doing is she's creating false worship in her home. They're worshiping what they want to worship let's keep going verse four so when he restored the money to his mother his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image and it was in the house of micah and the man micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priests well that's convenient In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is one of the many scenarios displayed in the book of Judges that shows us how a society decays. This young man stole money from his mother, and there are no repercussions. It it, it was a slap on the wrist at best. Instead, he was celebrated and she enabled his sinful lifestyle and she led him down a path away from the true and living God and exalted lowercase gods, lowercase g, lowercase gods. In other words, the way you want to live your life and the things that you want to worship is what we will exalt and we'll make uh, um, um, graven images towards those things. And she denied his relationship with the true and living God. But verse 6 says everything that we need to know. And, and, and this is what's happening right now in society. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is what happens when there is no spiritual authority over a nation, over a home, or over an individual's life. I'm reminded of a story I've shared years ago, but, but, but bear with me as I, as I share this. The year was 1999. 1999. I was a youth pastor. I'd been a youth pastor for about a year and a half at this moment. Still relatively green, but I, I loved the kids, and, and, and I wanted to do what was best, and I had some very strong convictions at that time on, on music. Now, understand, your pastor loves a wide variety of music. Yes, I listen to worship. Yes, I listen to Christian music, but there's some great music out there that I listen to. This was a period of my life that I didn't listen to anything but contemporary Christian music. That was it. That's all I listened to. There was just this span. I call it the Dark Ages, where, where that's all that I listened to. That was it. And so as a youth pastor, I wanted to make sure that, that I protected my students from the influence of, of society. And so when we would go on youth trips, I would tell my students, now, now think about this, this is, this is before iPhones, this is before iPods, so what we had back then were Walkmans. And for some of you that are old enough in the room, you'll remember the original Walkmans that came out that took cassette tapes. And you could, you could have it on your side right here with your wired headphones coming up. Then they came out with the CD version of the Walkmans. They were about this big. So... It wasn't as, as easy to hide what you were listening to as it is today. I mean, now you've got wireless headphones, you've got small little headphones, or you don't, sometimes you don't even know that someone is listening to, to something because you can't tell that they have headphones in their ears. And, and so um, and all the music's now stored on, on the phones, it, it was just a different day and age. So I, I just had these rules as a youth pastor. when we went on trips, no secular music. What I mean by secular is, if it's not Christian, you don't bring it. No secular music. It was in the paperwork before we went on the, the trips. When the parents signed the permission slips, it was listed there. I made sure before we left on trips, I made sure that I announced it. this is your last chance. If you have secular music, you better go put it in your car. You better leave it with mama. You, you give it to me right now, and I'll put it in my office, and I'll give it to you when we get back. But if you get on that church van with it, and I find out, It's mine. It's mine. And I don't want to listen to your music, so I'm going to break it when we get back. How many of you have ever been a, a part of a good CD-breaking ceremony, man? Those are, those are some good times in, in Christianity. Man, I, I used to preach as a, as a youth pastor. I used to preach. And, man, I would have them come in and break it at the altar, man. They were just breaking it. They'd go out the next week and buy it again. And, but, man, those were some good times, good times. So I, I told them, if, if you get on that van and I find it, it's mine. I'm going to destroy it. Well, we went to an all-night lock-in in in Jacksonville. We were coming back to Live Oak. We were coming down I-10. Early in the morning, the sun is rising. Everyone is sound asleep, and I look in the rearview mirror of the van that I'm driving. Back on the back seat, there's a kid named John. John's sitting on the back seat, and he's got his headphones on, and He, I mean, his head's bobbing. I can tell he's into the music. And I know John. John's not listening to DC talk. John's not listening to Michael W. Smith. He's certainly not listening to Point of Grace, okay? Some of you have no idea. It was the dark ages, I'm telling you. So I look back and he's he's into his music. I know John is not listening. He's not listening to Christian music. I pull the van over. I put it in park on the side of the interstate. The other van is right behind us. They pull in, and I turn around, and I said, Jonathan, what are you listening to? Takes his headphones off. He says, don't worry about it. Mm. Man, I'll punch you in your throat. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I'll hit you so hard, your mama's gonna feel it in Live Oak. I mean, just come on. Don't, don't talk to me like that. I said, pass it to the front. He said, no. I said, I'm not asking you pass it to the front he reluctantly passed his his walkman to the front and when i opened it the cd inside was master p i do not i do not do not advise you to go and listen to any master p okay just don't just don't do it (laughs) i'm afraid some of you might have listened to it on the way to church today and that scares me right now god help us you're the problem with society no and so he passed it up, and I knew. I knew. I said, Where, where's the case for this? He said, I don't have the case. I said, pass up the seat. The C- Remember the, the zipper binder with the, all the CD? He passed it up. There was 25 or 30, all explicit lyrics, all of them. And I said, they're mine now, boy. I warned you. And man, he was mad. I drove home. I'm mad. We get home. I, I don't want to talk to anybody. I, throw the CDs in my office. I'm ready to get home. And, and, and the next, next day at church, his mom says, I, I need to talk with you. So we went to my office and she walked in and she was a good woman. Good woman. God-fearing woman. Loved Jesus. And she looked at me and she said, my husband and I talked last night and um, we need you to give the CDs back. I said, no, ma'am. You signed the permission slip. You, you know my rules. It's not. She says, my husband says, we're not asking. We're telling you. She said, there's over $300 worth of CDs that we've purchased for him. I said, you need to do a better job. I took the CD that he was listening to, that master PCD. I went over to a CD player in my office. I put it in, and I hit play, and I said, prepare yourself, and the language that came out of those speakers. I mean, it was, it was horrifying. She just put her head down, and I thought, I've got her. She looked at me, and she said, I can't go on without those CDs. I looked at her, and I said, if you do this, you're undermining my authority and I'm trying my best to protect your son. I said, this is not the garbage that he needs to be listening to. There's plenty of other garbage out there. (laughs) Now, I I looked at her and I said, if you do this, if you do this, I will no longer take your son on a trip with me. He will not be invited to go on any more youth trips because I can't be responsible if you're gonna undermine my authority. She said, that's a risk we're willing to take. And she walked out of there with those CDs that day. I, I wish, I mean, I was only, you know, early 20s. I, I wish that I would have stood my ground and just said no, but I, I didn't. I didn't, I gave them back and I never allowed him to go on another youth trip with me again, but I said something to that woman that day and understand this, I'm not prophetic, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, I don't claim to be, but I just know how it works. And I, I'm look, I looked at her and, and I said, if you don't get a grip on this, your son's going to end up behind bars one day. Because there were some behavioral issues, too, that I could see. Wouldn't you know it? After I became the pastor of this church, someone informed me that he had gone to prison. I'm not celebrating that. What I am telling you this is it wasn't a few foul-mouthed CDs that led him down that path. It was a series of choices and a lack of spiritual leadership that led him down that path. Proverbs 29 and 17, discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Church, please listen to me. Hear me. Hear me. There's truth in God's word, Discipline your children and they will give you rest. It was a joy to raise my children, but we did not refrain from discipline. Proverbs 29 and 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This is what's wrong with our society right now is that we're cowering down. Listen, I'm not talking about abusing your children. That's not what it's about. But at some point, they've got to recognize the spiritual authority that God has put on your life as parents and grandparents. They've got to recognize that, that while they're living under your roof, that you fear God and that you're going to lead them in the paths of righteousness. They've got to understand that. The demise of a society happens when a previous generation fails to instill righteousness in the next generation. The late Charles Coulson, who was a founder of Prison Fellowship, he insisted that no society has long endured without a common moral consensus. He denounced the myth of moral relativity, which produces chaos and confusion. It's like this. It's likened to uh, imagine a football game where there's no set rules. Just anybody can do whatever they want to. It would be chaos on the field. Charles Colson wrote that today's myth of moral relativity hides the dividing line between good and evil, noble and base. It has thus created a crisis in the realm of truth. When a society abandons its transcendent values, each individual's moral vision becomes purely personal. That's scary, Church. We cannot operate that way. And this social condition of of ancient Israel at the time of Judges can be easily overlaid upon our own modern culture and our own society right now. It's disguised as democracy. Hear me out. Hear me out. It's disguised as democracy, as freedom, as being individualistic. It's the right to pursue personal happiness, but it always comes back to the same thing. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, and it never leads to to ways of righteousness and of godliness, never. And at the time that the book of Judges uh, was, was, uh, that, that we're living out, that moment in history Israel lived in this constant state of perplexity, fear, and extreme dysfunction. Hello? Have we not reached that place? We're perplexed, we're fearful, and we are extremely dysfunctional. And on occasions, God would raise up a man or a woman to lead Israel and to defend them. And they would lead Israel out of political and social chaos... But it was only for a moment because, and, and those are the judges for which the, the book is, is named after. But once that judge died, they, they would return right back to that confused and dysfunctional state. I read you this morning one of the, the, the minor, minor infractions. In chapter 11, a man sacrifices his own daughter. In chapter 19, there is a woman that is brutally raped by a bunch of men of the city. In chapter 20, a civil war breaks out. And the list of murder and revenge is so prevalent throughout this book that one man dies from a tent peg being driven through his temple. It was a time of, of, of brutality it, it, it was an awful, awful era to live in in Israel's history. It was a time that it just didn't make sense. And the reckless living is summed up again with the very last book of, of the book, of, or the very last verse of the book of Judges. When you turn over to Judges 21 and 25, where the writer reiterates In those days, there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And all God wanted, here's the only thing God wanted, was for them to recognize him as leader, as him as ruler, him as king. And he wanted to be exalted to the throne of their hearts. And if he could have ruled and reigned from the throne of their hearts, Israel would have been on track. They would have found success a whole lot earlier. But, but, but they, 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 they were, were living lawless. They were, they were, they were living uh, and doing everything that was right in their own eyes. And, and therefore, the, the, the country was in chaos. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's the equivalent to you do you. You do you. Do what makes you feel good. It's not working, church. And I may not be able to fix this country, but I'm telling you, through the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your home, you can fix and you can save your home. You can save your children from this demise. You can save your grandchildren from this destruction. It's time that we return back to the governance of God. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is my constitution for living right here. You want to know where my freedom is found? It's not found. And listen, I'm patriotic. Trust me, I love the constitution of the United States. More and more, I do. I do. I promise you, I do but I am a Christian before I'm an American. And this right here, church, is my constitution for living. It doesn't matter what laws they write, what laws they change. If if it doesn't line up with God's word, then it doesn't line up for me. I will not, I will not adhere my family to anything other than what is biblically based. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we've got to get our eyes off of our personal freedoms, our personal desires, our personal lust, and our personal wants. That's what's wrong with America. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes, what seems right for me. Listen, when I was a child, I had no idea that the stove was hot, and they kept telling me that it was hot until that one day when I touched it. And I realized they knew what they were talking. It seemed right in my own eyes. And I don't care how old you get, you still got these personal preferences in your life that you've got to filter them through the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, Jesus says something that is very interesting. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It it all comes down to the lenses. This past week, Mandy and I were finishing up a, a series that we've been binge watching it's none of your business. It's nothing bad, but I learned a long time ago, don't put your stamp of approval on anything because season two is going to come out and they always have a way. They always have a way. But we got down to the last episode one night this week and um, I, I wear contacts. When, when I'm not wearing contacts, you'll see me in my glasses, but I, I wear contacts most of the time, especially when I'm, I'm speaking. I am speaking. I've got one contact that sees distance and one contact that reads up close so imagine what half of you look like right now <laughs> we were watching the TV and, and I, I reached up and I rubbed my eye and when I did my contact folded and it went up behind my eye and I was like and I fought with it for a minute I'm doing this I'm. And I finally paused the, sh- the show. We are on the last episode. We, I paused the show. I said, Mandy, my contact is folded. i got to go try and get this out. So I, I went to the bathroom, and I washed my hands because I knew what was about to happen. And I, listen, I don't need you emailing me articles. I don't need any of that. But my, my, my finger went all over my eyeball. I mean, I'm trying my best. If I, I pulled my eyelid out. I'm trying. My... And for about 10 minutes, I worked on trying to get that contact out. And it's not working. It's not working. I thought, Okay. Let's go back and watch the end of the show. So I'll walk back in there. Mandy, I have no idea how that show ended. I, have, I don't, I can't remember. I mean, it just, because I'm sitting there the whole time looking out of one eye that the contact is for me to see up close and the TV's in the distance. The one that I need is not working right It folded, and, and I'm struggling over there. I've got tears coming down my face just trying to, and, and it's not that kind of show. And I'm just like, <coughs> this is miserable. This is miserable. The show ended, and I said, I'm going to go get this contact out, and I'm going to bed. I'm very frustrated at this moment, and I turn off the TV, and I go in there. Finally, finally, I looked the right direction. Like, I looked way over there, and this contact's like right here. And I pulled it out and got it out and everything. The point is, I was missing so much because I couldn't see. The lens wasn't right. We're missing so much as a society because we're looking through our own eyes. And I can't trust my own eyes. I can't. I cannot trust my own eyes. I've got to be willing to submit my life To the one that can see my entire life Because he's got a God's eye view Of me, of my life Of where I'm heading, every pothole Every success, every journey Every step, he's got it all He's got a God's, because he's my creator And he has set the rules And as long as I live Under his governance As long as I live Under his rule and his reign My life is going to be okay We've got to make sure that the next generation is going to be okay, that they see God for who he is as creator. And listen, I'm not telling you to to hate your kids or your grandkids that might be living a lifestyle that's not pleasing to the Lord. That's not what I'm saying because God doesn't, doesn't hate them. God doesn't hate them. If anything, he's heartbroken over it. He loves them. It's not his will that any should perish it's not my will it's not your will but, but listen there is a fine line church a fine line between loving and putting our stamp of approval and we've got to be careful because at the moment we put a stamp of approval we might be sealing their eternal destination and I don't want that on my hands it's hard to take a stand when society is raging against us how do we do this? The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I've got to get my eyes off of my own personal wants, desires, sometimes even my own needs. And I've got to focus on Jesus. I've got to look to Jesus founder and the perfecter of our faith. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.